Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Vision Church podcast. Let me ask you a question. Why do prayers go unanswered, seemingly, at times? Or is it that sometimes the answer is no? We're going to answer some of these questions in this message called The Realm of Rest. So grab your Bible and set your faith with us to hear from heaven. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, would you stand up with me this morning? And if you have your Bible, take it in your hand, if you would. I just, I got to tell you here just for a moment, I, I was so impressed with the turnout yesterday. I just want to give you guys double kudos, whatever I could give you that would, that would tell you how much we appreciate you. We were blown. I was blown away. I was just going, man, these guys love people. And I don't know why you would come out and, and do what we did and just hand out food and knock on doors and have people look at you strange. And, and thank, special thanks to April and to Jesse for, they speak Spanish, you know. All I could ask for was where the bathroom was. And so we were so glad to have them there because we got to minister to a bunch of people. And it just touched my heart. But here's what I want you to do with your Bible. You got it? Take your Bible in your hand just like this for a moment. Just hold on to it, whatever form you have, paper bag, leather bag, hard bag, or electronic. And, and I'd like you to pray with me this morning. And let's pray together. Father, Lord, we recognize that we need you. We need what's in this book. And so, Father, we, we pray, Lord, that you would encourage us this morning, inspire us, Share, share with us the mysteries of the gospel. Let it, let it be revelation to our heart. God, correct us. <laughs> we invite your correction, your direction, and your purpose in our lives. And Father, we pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive it. In Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, say amen. amen. Well, look at your neighbor. Tell him you're looking good this morning. It's great to see you, and you can be seated. <laughs> Man, those of you, this is your first time at Vision. We are so grateful. It's so good to see you this morning, and we hope you enjoy yourselves. If you would, would you take your Bible and would you turn to Hebrews chapter 4? Hebrews chapter 4. God put a, put a message on my heart this morning. Um, you know, we've been talking about, last week we started talking about kingdom culture. Kingdom culture is different than like the culture that we live in, earthly culture. You know, there's a system. The Bible says that Satan is the God of this world. What he meant was not the actual world, but the system of the world. Some ministers uh, refer to it as the Babylonian system because it's, it's propped up and, and it seems to always be on the brink of falling apart, but then something else keeps continuing to hold it up. And, 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 but then there's a kingdom culture. And the kingdom culture was the culture that was in the garden. When God created Adam and Eve and he created the earth, he created this culture and he began to teach Adam and Eve how to live, how to function in this culture. And then we know what happened. Adam and Eve sinned and there was separation God, you know, between man and God. And then the answer was Jesus. 
Jesus came. Jesus died on the cross. When he died on the cross and he rose from the grave, he reestablished a kingdom culture. In fact, he, he told the disciples, he said, when you pray, I want you to pray like this. I want you to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in order for us to discover how things need to be on earth, we need to look at how are things in heaven. Is there sickness in heaven? That's why Jesus took every, every stripe on his back. He took our infirmity, our sickness and disease on the cross so that by his stripes we would be healed. You know, is there lack, poverty in heaven? No, it's God's desire for us to be blessed. He said, if you give, it will be given back to you. So kingdom culture is reversed to the culture that we live in. Our, our culture is get all you can and can all you get, right? I mean, it is, it, it's take what you can get and keep it. The Bible says give. Kingdom culture is given. It will be given back to you and you'll have an abundance. And so you won't just be a stale storehouse somewhere. You'll be a conduit that God can flow through. And one thing I've noticed about these massive conduits that channel water is that the conduit's always full. Man, that's a blessing. I'm a little off my message. I want to read Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verse 1. Let's read it together. Verse 1 says this, Now God has offered to us the same promise of entering into his realm of resting in confident faith. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. So now I want to read to you verse 2. Verse 2 says, For we have heard the good news of the deliverance just as they did, and yet they did not join their faith with the word. Instead, what they heard didn't affect them deeply, for they doubted. Now what he's referring to is he's referring to when Joshua and Caleb uh, said, hey, we can go in and we can take the promised land, the land that God promised to us. And they said, hey, we are well able to come in and take it. And so that's what it's referring to. But now I want to read to you the same verse out of the Amplified. Listen to it out of the Amplified. It says, for indeed, we have had glad tidings, the gospel of God proclaimed to us just as truly as they, the Israelites of old, did when the good news of the deliverance of the bondage came to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because it was not mixed with faith. It was not received with faith. And with the learning of the entire personality on God in absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. Man, that is quite a statement. By those who heard it. Neither were they united in faith with the ones, Joshua and Caleb, who did hear it, and they did believe. Now, let's move on to verse 3. Look at verse 3. This is a very interesting verse. I'm going to read it to you out of the Passion. It says, For those of us who believe, faith activates the promise, and we experience the realm of confident rest. And that's the title of my message this morning is The Realm of Rest. Doesn't that sound good? <laughs> that just sounds restful. How many of you have ever enjoyed those times that you, it seems like you haven't gotten sleep for a while, and then you have that day where you get to sleep in? And you may even get up, 
do something, and then get tired and go back to bed. And then it's even better when you wake up after that because you just feel refreshed. And that's the way faith is supposed to be. That's the way God designed our faith, that we would take his word and that we would believe it. We would take it at face value, the promises that he has, and we would believe it so much that we could put full confidence in it, that it's going to happen. And then we're not sitting around worried, concerned, fretful, hoping, oh, gee, I hope it happens. Gee, it's, no. Let me read to you, keep going here. See, because the realm of rest, this is what it is, is it's absolute confidence that God, what he said, will happen. It's full trust in what he said. I heard this story, and it really, it really touched me, because when I was a kid, um, slushies were a big thing. Are those still a big thing today, slushies? People still do that. Well, you know, there wasn't a lot going on back when I was a kid, and so slur- slurpees, they were the, it was either a Slurpee at one store and it was a slushy at another store. And so I heard this story. I heard Jerry Savelle share this story about his daughter, and I really identified with it because I liked slushies. And so he talked about how they were on their way to a different town, and he was preaching at a church that night. And so he had his family with him. He had his daughter and his wife with him. And they're traveling, and so as they're riding in the car, his daughter said, Dad, can we get a slushy today? And he said, you know what, sweetheart, we can get a slushie today. He said, but here's the deal. I want to do it after the service. We will stop and get one after the service on our way home because, you know, she had her pretty little dress on. And those Slurpees, those slushies, they get everywhere. They splatter and get you all sticky, right? And so he said, I'll get one afterwards. And she said, okay, Dad. And so they drove a little further. They get about 30 minutes down the road. And she said, Dad, I thought you said we were going to get a Slurpee. When are we going to stop and get a Slurpee? And he said, sweetheart, I I told you, we're going to get one after the service, after tonight, after I get done preaching and we leave, we will pick one up on the way home. We'll stop and get a Slurpee. Okay. All right, Dad. Sounds good. Another 30 minutes go by. She asks again, Dad, I thought you said we were going to stop. When are we going to stop and get a slushie? He said, then I stopped the car. And I said, sweetheart, I told you, I I promised you that we would stop afterwards. He said, now, every time that you ask me again, you're calling what your dad said. You're calling me a liar. And he said, the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder and said, me too. Me too. Are you following what I'm saying? Some, I think some of you are, but some doesn't seem like you're tracking. Here's what he's saying. Just by, I, if I'm gauging it by the looks on your face, not that you're not, I'm sorry. I don't mean that in a mean way, but I, but You know, it's like, all right. So here's how I mean that, is that that when God says something, that means he'll do it. His promises are guaranteed. When he says he'll do it, he'll do it. But let me, don't take my word for it. Let me prove it to you out in the word. And in fact, let's, let's let's go over to the book of Numbers. If you would, turn over to Numbers, Numbers 13. This is an important verse in Numbers. Because this is what Hebrews 4 is referring to. This is the story uh, with Caleb and Joshua and the spies. So in Numbers chapter, Numbers chapter 13, verse 1, it says that God said this to Moses, he speaks to Moses, and he says, send the men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving 
to the children of Israel. Now, they had, they had come out of Egypt. They had traveled through the wilderness. They had spent 40 years in the wilderness. And now they are right across uh, the way from the promised land, the land that God promised that he would give them. And notice what it said. Notice that he said, send them to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. Notice his ver verbiage. He says, I am giving this land to them. Okay, so interesting thing about this promise, because this promise was made years before. It was made way back in Genesis 15. God said to Moses or to, to Abraham, you remember Abram, he, took, he brought Abram out of Ur, Ur of the Chaldees, out of his home. He said, leave your home, and I want you to come to this new land. Well, Abram obeyed him, and he left, and he, and, he, and he took his wife, and he came to the land of Canaan, which is what they're getting ready to come into, the land of Canaan. And when he brought him there, he said, listen, I am giving this land to you as an inheritance. This is a promise that God made to Abram. But how long before was this? The distance between when Moses died, let me make sure I'm saying it right, uh, between Abram, the death of Abram, and the birth of Joshua was 400 years. 400 years. This is a promise that these guys have been hearing about for a long time. 400 years, I mean, there's several generations that have passed. How many of you have heard that Jesus is coming back here? Okay, yeah. How long have you been hearing that? All your life, right? I remember back in the 70s, back in the 80s, man, it was preached on because we were so close. There were all kinds of prophecies. There were all kinds of books. People have tried to predict the date. Let me tell you, if God says nobody knows, that means nobody knows. Okay? But here's, here's the fact. He's coming. Last week, we talked about offense. And we looked at when Jesus talked to his disciples and they asked him, hey, what's the sign? What's going to be the sign of your second coming? What are some of the signs that we can look for at the end of the age? And he named all these different things. Well, one of the things that he said, and we talked about it last week, you can go back and look at it, was, or listen to it, was many will be offended. And, and we talked a little bit about how this, uh, in my lifetime, this is probably the most sensitive generation I've seen yet. People easily offended. Well, there's a good part to this. What's the good part, Phil? We're seeing a sign. If people are offended, I'm sorry that they are. I don't want them to be offended. But good news, Jim, we're getting closer to Jesus coming. But you've, been, you've heard that promise all of your life, haven't you? The children of Israel are the same way. They've heard this promise all of their life. They've heard about this promise coming up for a long, 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 long time. So let's continue reading. Look at verse 26. So now the children of Israel, they are the spies. They've gone into Canaan. They, they have looked it all over, and they come back in verse 26, and it says they come back to Moses, they come back to Aaron and the congregation. They bring back word to them. They show them the fruit. And they told him, they said, we went into the land that you, where you sent us. And it truly flows with milk and honey. In other words, it's everything that God said it would be. He has said many times prior to this, I'm going to bring you into a land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they said, here's the fruit. 
So they picked one grapevine and it took two men to carry it. Come on. Canaanite wine press, man, that's amazing. And so it says, and it truly flows with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. But then listen to what they say now. They use a fancy word, nevertheless. You probably don't use that word. I use the word but. So let's use the word but. But the people who dwell there in the land are very strong. And the cities are fortified. They're very large. And guess what? The descendants of Anak are there. Okay, Goliath was one of the descendants of Anak. I mean, these are the big boys. These are the nine-footers, the six-fingers, six-toes dudes. These are the big guys, you know, kind of like James back there. You, had, you were showing your muscle, man, on the video. I, you thought we missed it, but dude, strong guy. You know, thank God. You only have five fingers, right? Five to, okay, I just want to make sure. So, <laughs> and so they say, they say, but the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and they're very large and the descendants of Anak are there. What are they saying? We cannot go in and take this land. So I thought I was going to say this in a nice way, that faith quiets doubt. But I'm going to say faith shuts doubt up. Come on, somebody. And so here comes Caleb. Caleb says in verse 30, it says that Caleb quieted the people before Moses, and he said to them, let us go up at once and take possession because we are well able to take it. Why are they well able? Because they have a promise. They have a promise. Caleb believed more in the promise than he did in the situation. Right? And they said, but then, but then the men who had gone up with him, the other 10 spies, they said, we are not able to go up against this people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report. So the 10 spies, here's what they have their eyes on. They have their eyes on what it looks like. The impossibility. Well, there are all kinds of impossibilities out there. And you know what we keep finding out? That impossibilities are made possible with God. He overcomes impossibility. But what does Caleb have his eyes on? He has his eyes on the promise. So I want to ask you this. What promise do you have your eyes on for your situation? The impossibility that's going on in your life. You look at it and you go, man... We have been dealing with that. We've been dealing with that. We've been dealing with that. Well, you haven't been dealing with it for 400 years yet. But that doesn't, did 400 years change God's promise? No. Phil, are you saying it's going to be 400 years? No, no. That's not what I'm saying. But here it was, here, let me give you a word from Kenneth Hagin, though. I heard him say this, and this was so powerful. He said, he said, when you're willing to wait forever, it's not going to be very long. When you're willing to put all of your stock in God's promise and wait for it, it's not going to be very long. Man. Has God given you a reason to doubt? All right. Because here's the deal. Your faith will become your reality. This is something that God's been dealing with me on is is. What, what I value, personally, I, I spend time with. The things that I like to do, I, I spend time with that thing. And I felt like God has been saying to me all week long, 
Phil, do you treasure my word? Yes, Lord, I treasure your word. Do you value what I said? Yes, sir, I value what you said. He said, then you'll believe it, won't you? When you treasure something, you'll value it and you'll believe it. Man, that word just messed with me all week. So let's jump back to Hebrews 4. Go back over to Hebrews 4. Okay, I'm going to be in the Word quite a bit this morning, if you can't tell. (laughs) I figured if you come to church, we might as well preach the Word, amen? All right, Hebrews chapter, look back at verse 3 again. And I know we read the first part of uh, verse 3, but we're going to read the rest of verse 3. And it says this. For those of us who believe, in verse 3, faith activates the promise. So when you choose to believe something, what that does is that engages the promise, sets it in motion. It activates it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gotten an elevator and not push a button? You don't go anywhere. Get into a conversation, talking to somebody, and then you realize, oh, we're sitting still. Oh, somebody's got to push the button. Why? Because that's what you have to do with your faith. If you want to go somewhere, you have to dial in where you want to go. All right. So so then it says it activates faith or it activates the promise and we experience the realm of confident rest. You don't experience the realm of confident rest until you believe. You believe. All right. And then it goes on to say, for he said, I was grieved with them. He's talking about the children of Israel and and their bad, their evil report and made them made a solemn oath. They will never enter my calming rest of spirit. God's work. Look, listen to this. God's work. uh, God's works, excuse me, have all been completed from the foundation of the world. I've got news for you. God's done all he's going to do. Some people, oh, I can't go there yet because it's got to keep going. All right. I, so in my Bible, there were footnotes on verse 3, and I thought they were very interesting. They said, God's works uh, have been completed even though the world has fallen. The Greek word, katabol, uh, which I probably butchered, but let me keep going, means to fall down, to throw down. It is most often used for laying down a foundation. But it can imply that the fall of humanity through sin, it can, it, can, it can mean that. And so even though the world has fallen, God's works have already been accomplished unhindered by the sin of man. God's finished works supersede the brokenness of our planet. Aren't you happy about that? That it's not based on the condition of this planet. It's not based on your feelings. Your faith is not based on your feelings. Your ba- faith is not based on the condition of what's going on here in, in, on the planet. In, in this nation, the political climate, the economic climate, your faith is not based on that. Your faith is based on what are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the word? What the word of God says? First of all, you have to read it. It's amazing. You know, you don't know anything. It's amazing how many people, have you ever seen them go and do interviews? I did on the Constitution. <laughs> and they interviewed people. So, you know, does the, what does the Constitution say about this? And the person is like, 
They might as well be quoting song lyrics to Elvis or something. I mean, it's like, you don't know it. Why don't you just say, you know, I need to go back and read it. Well, it doesn't matter how well we think we know the Word of God. We have to get in it on a regular basis. But when you find those promises, when my mom experienced a massive heart attack, we went and, and she was in the hospital. She was in the critical care unit and she's on the ventilator and it doesn't look like she's going to make it. We began to look for promises that we could stand on. What the Bible said about healing. And every time there was an issue going on, first it was with, with her heart. We found, we found Psalm 57, 7, my heart is steadfast, oh God, my heart is steadfast. Praise God. We got a heartbeat scripture going on. And so we stood on that scripture. What happened? The next day, her heart, her, uh, her, her uh, pulse was, it wasn't the pulse, it was the blood, her blood pressure came up a little bit, or her heart rate came up a little bit, started pumping a little better. I thought, glory to God, this works. And so we began to look for more promises, more promises, things that we could stand on. So the issues that are going on in your life right now, have you run to the phone or have you run to the throne? Are you running to your friends or are you getting in the Bible and saying, Lord, I need some promises. I need some promises on finances. I need some promises on marital relationship. Lord, I need some promises. Man, and I'm telling you, when you have a promise, that changes the game. It's a game changer. It is, man. It's so awesome. It's so awesome. All right. So we must fight to hold on to our faith. Hold on to those promises. Let me make a statement. The promise has to become more precious than the report. The promise has to become more more precious than the report. We have to come to a place where we choose to believe the promise more. I tell you, my... um, Love, if, if love is only based on feelings and emotions, love's not going to last very long. It's going gonna, it's gonna to crumble. It's going to fall apart. If a relationship is based on that, it's not going to make it. But if a relationship is based on a covenant, a covenant decision of two people coming together, that we are committed to one another, that divorce is not an option. Let me tell you, it's a little easier to make it through in sickness and in health for better and for worse. Why? You've made a covenant. You're making, you're keeping covenant. Well, guess what? You have a covenant with another groom and his name is Jesus. And that's what the rapture is, is Jesus coming back and it's a marriage. And guess who the bride is? It's not just my wife. She is the bride. But come on, how many brides I got in here? Come on, man. You're the bride. You're the one he's coming back for. And you have a covenant with him. Man, covenant. See, doubt believes the bad report more than the promise. So I want you to go over to one other verse, and I'm going to wrap up with this. Go over to Mark chapter 11. And I want to give you another, uh, another perspective on this same subject that Jesus gave to his disciples. Mark chapter 11, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, favorite stories in the Bible. So Mark 11, we're going to look at verse 12. When you're there, say amen. Amen. All right, good deal. 
Right, and verse 12, so it talks about that Jesus and his disciples, they're coming out of Bethany, and Jesus is hungry. So he sees a fig tree off in the distance, and he sees leaves on it, which is usually the indicator that there might be figs on it when they're coming into season. So he thinks, I'm going to go over, and I'm going to see if there's figs on this tree. So he goes over, and, and, he's, and because he's hungry, he's looking for figs. He doesn't find any. All he finds is leaves. So Jesus speaks to the tree, and the disciples hear him. And this is what he says, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. This seems pretty harsh. I mean, tree huggers would have a problem with this statement, right? They'd be like, that's cruel and unusual punishment, right? But there was a purpose to everything that Jesus said, right? He's not just all about killing trees, right? And so in verse 20, they, they go into the temple and they clean up the temple, praise God. And so the next day they're coming back out. And they're coming back by where that tree is. And so as they pass by, Peter sees it and he notices that it's dried up from the roots. And because it's dried up from the roots, he says, Rabbi, remember the tree yesterday which you cursed is withered away. And so listen to what Jesus says in verse 22. He says, have faith in God. For I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, to be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says shall be done, he will have whatever he says. That's a scary thought. You having that much power in your mouth. Isn't it? Doesn't that kind of sober you a little bit about the importance of words? Because if you believe something, according to this, I didn't write this. You know I didn't write this, right? Phil, are you preaching, name it, and claim it? No, I'm preaching what it says in Mark 11, 23. And he says, and he goes on to say, in verse 24, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. This is good news. This means that I can believe the promise of God, and it will happen in my life. It'll come to manifestation in my life. Now, there's an interesting word that he uses in there, and he uses the word mountain. I looked that up in the Greek, and listen to what mountain means. A mountain as lifting itself up. How many mountains lift themselves up? Not many mountains I know. Not any physical mountains I know. But as a mountain lifting itself up above the plain. Now, when Nicole and I were married in 1992, we were married in Tempe, Arizona. It was 124 on our wedding day, praise God. And anyway, I won't go into that but because I need to stay on point. But if you've ever been to Phoenix, especially this time of year, is a great time to be in Phoenix. It's gorgeous. My father-in-law lives there, and he texted us the other day. He said, whoo, we had a cold front come through, 74 degrees. I said, Mm-hmm. And so, because <laughs> it was zero here, you know, it was amazing, you know. So, but if you've ever been to Phoenix, on a clear day, if you get up on South Mountain and you look across the valley, or even on the Buttes, if you've ever been there, you get up on the Buttes, you can see for miles and miles clear across the valley. However, you can't see past South Mountain. Why? It's just. It's this massive mountain range, and you can't see past it. You can't see that there's a beautiful community on the other side called Awatuki. And you can't see that community because South Mountain's in the way. 
And this is what the enemy likes to do. He likes to turn molehills into mountains in your life. Because you come up against something and you think, man, what are we going to do? It's like bug's life. The leaf falls. What are we going to do? There's a leaf. What are we going to do? There's a molehill. I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, this molehill becomes this mountain in our life. I thought this was interesting that he used this verbiage here. But, so let's answer this question. Why do some prayers go unanswered? Well, is it God's fault? Is God to blame? Well, Phil, I feel, I feel like sometimes no is the answer. You know, it's like that old Garth Brooks song that sometimes God's greatest gifts to us is unanswered prayer. All right, well, let's look at that. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Because I don't agree, and here's why. God doesn't say no when it's one of his promises. When he made a promise, God doesn't, he never goes back on his promise. I made a promise recently to someone in the last month that was hurtful, but I made the promise. And I made good on the promise. It was not easy for me. But that's how much a promise means to me. How much more does a promise mean to God? If God makes the promise. Well, look what it says. First Corinthians, you there? Uh, did I send you to first or second? second. Thank you. Second Corinthians 1, look at verse 20. I'm glad I sent you to the right place. For all the promises of God are in him, yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Are you kidding me? All of his promises are yes? That means there's no no. I don't see a no. How many of the promises? Oh, are you sure it's all? Is that what it says? All of the promises of God are yes. Man, if I can find out what his promises are, then I have every right to believe that he'll make good on his word. Man, that was paradigm shift right there. How many again? How many of his promises? Are you sure? So if he promised, made a promise about healing, then he'll make good on a promise? Wow. Man. So based on that scripture, let me give you three ways to pray now. Three ways that we should pray based on what we just read. Number one, and this is in closing, so you can go ahead and send the keys out, play some scary music so when we give the altar call, people are convicted. <laughs> That's what my father-in-law would always say. <laughs> There's, I'm sorry. I'm, just, I'm feeling frisky up here. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's just you guys. So, number one, how should we pray? Number one, believe God will do what he promised. What did he say in verse 22? He said, have faith in God. 
Have faith in him. He'll do what he said he's going to do. Let me tell you, the realm of rest is that absolute confidence in God's promise. That it's yes and amen. Number two, he said to speak to the mountain. Well, that's a little odd. Some, it amazes me how many people think it's weird to speak to a situation, a circumstance in their life. And yet they talk to everything else in their life. They talk to their car. They talk to their plant. They talk to their dog. They can't talk back. They talk to their tire. This flat tire. Man, piece of. I mean, you speak to everything else. Why not speak to the mountain? Because here's the deal. If you don't talk to the mountain, it's talking to you. That molehill is going to become a rocky mountain in your life. It's time to speak to it. Amen. Didn't David speak to Goliath? Goliath said, what have, what have you done? What are you doing? Sending, sending a dog out here to fight me. What is this? And David said, oh, you haven't defied me. You've defied the armies of the living God. I'm telling you, you're messing with God and you're messing with the wrong man. Because today, I'm not only going to cut your head off, we're going to cut the heads off of all of the Philistines. <laughs> he spoke to Goliath. He spoke to his mountain. Man, it's time to turn into a mountain speaker. Whisper, mountain whisper. Number three. Don't allow your heart to doubt. Don't allow, let me tell you, you've got to treat doubt like it's a poison in your life. You need to. You need to treat it like it's a poison. Don't allow it to come into your thought process. Have you ever been wrong about thoughts that you've had? Do you want... Wow, there's a lot of yeses through there. Uh, normally, it's not always like that, so this is pretty cool, but... Can I be uh, transparent with you? <clears throat> Sometimes as a pastor, it's difficult to not want to look at who's here and who's not here. I mean, I just got to be honest with you. And, and it's something that I put down because I put it off in my life because I don't care. I, I care. I care about you. Okay, I, do. I care. But I don't care I'm not going to allow myself to care about who's here, who's not here on Sundays because there's one that I care is here. Because huh. God, if you don't show up, we're done. We're cooked. This is a show. This might as well be a Broadway production if you don't come. We, man. And so, and so sometimes on Sundays, doesn't happen all the time because I'm a lot better than I used to be. I used to go home and talk about who wasn't here. Not here when we were at the other church. And you know what I realized? That conversation produces nothing. It doesn't help anybody. It certainly doesn't help me. Oh, because then, because then a little molehill starts to take on mountain characteristics. Oh, wait, do they not like us anymore? They haven't been back in two weeks. I don't think they're coming back. And do you see what the enemy does? And I know I'm not the only one. I know you deal with it in your own life, in your marriage, in your relationships, people that you deal with on a regular basis, your job. Well, they let so-and-so go. They let this person go. We're downsizing. Uh-oh. Guess who's next? Guess I bet you I'm next. I'm next. I'm next. I'm next, Spencer. What am I going to do, man? Turning a mountain. Making a mountain out of it. 
And so what you have to do with doubt is you have to put that off and say, no, God, I thank you. Greater are you and me than he that is in the world. And I thank you. I'm not being laid off. But even if I do get laid off, you have something spectacular for me. So much better than where I was. And I want you to know, God, that I put my full faith and my full trust in you. Wow. Wow. I read this quote by Les Brown. And, uh, and he said, too many of us are not living our dreams because we're living our fears. And I, I want to say it this way. Many have sacrificed their faith by living their fears. When you live in fear, it dictates your life. It puts you in bondage. And it sacrifices your faith. You can't live in fear and be in faith at the same time. Doesn't work. What does Hebrews 10, 38 say? It says, the just shall live by faith. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Just search Vision Church. If you would like to help support this ministry, you can do so at visionnwa.com forward slash give.